Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Steve Asawa presents his message entitled, New Year Encouragement from Philippians. And now, here's Steve. Good morning. Thank you to Gary and Sharon, to Emma, and to Dave for just turning our thoughts and our hearts toward the Lord. Indeed, how great is our God. And may he this morning open up our eyes to his wonders, to his goodness, to his love. Last week, Joe started off the year talking about the importance of corporate prayer. And he noted that personal prayer and corporate prayer are like two wings on the plane. Both are critical. This week, you get a New Year's message. Now, I don't know about you, I'm not really one for making New Year's resolutions. I would note, however, that today's message isn't about quitting something, because you know what the excuse is, right? Nobody likes a quitter, so you don't do it. But if you're worried that you know, we're already into week two. It's gone by. The good news is that God wants us to turn our hearts and our minds to the Lord, to himself, every day. So you don't have to wait till January 1st, 2024 to make, to turn your heart to the Lord. So question, how is your 2023 going? Going well? Not so well? I can't say that mine got off to a great start. We've been dealing with a, an issue on the home front. I hadn't been skiing for, didn't get to ski for almost two weeks. And those who know me know that I really love the fresh air and the exercise and just the chance to be out in nature, pondering with no distractions. And I had to sleep on the couch for the first so many days this year. And in case you're wondering, no, Linda and I didn't have a big fight. Uh, I came down with COVID just after Christmas, and so I was just trying to keep a little bit of distance between us. Happy to say, I'm back to normal. I know, some of you are saying, well, too bad. Couldn't there be an improvement? Like, is that as good as it gets? Sorry. So this year has been a bit challenging already. What do we hope for in a new year, though? Is it a year filled with good times, good friends, good health, good Sundays at church? G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton is quoted as saying, The object of a new year is not that we should have a new year, it's that we should have a new soul. It's about adjusting the focus, or some may, for some maybe it's a complete refocus of our lives. So I'm going to suggest a goal that we should all resolve to strive for is something that comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Now Paul's letter to the Philippians is full of what I call practical encouragement. And while I'll reference verses from the whole book, we'll focus primarily on parts of chapter 2. 
The church was going through various challenges, and Paul reminds his readers of the importance of following our Lord's example and focusing on the things above instead of being dragged down into what could be despair and being led away from God. We too live in challenging times, don't we? And I think at times challenging is probably an understatement. The part that really jumped out at me for today comes from chapter 2, verses 12 to 16. Therefore, my dear friends, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. I'm going to suggest that the two-winged analogy Joe used about prayer last week also applies to our behavior. Our lives need to reflect the grace that God has shown us, both as individuals and as a body of believers. So it's like a biplane, you know, one of those old-fashioned ones with two sets of wings. One set of wings is prayer, personal and corporate, and the other set is how we live, individually and as a community. So before we get into this, let's just commit our time to prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, I just marvel that the God who created the heavens and the universe, the God who holds everything we could see in the palm of his hand, holds us in his hand, cares for us. It's just so amazing to me, Lord. I have such a hard time getting over that at times. And Father, you loved us so much that you sent your Son to come live as a person on our behalf die on the cross for us. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your word, Lord, and for your spirit. And I just pray this morning that you would, through your spirit, open our hearts and minds to what you would have us learn and apply this day, this year. And may we just be drawn closer to you and may our lives reflect your love. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In chapter 1, verse 27, we read in part, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as as one for the faith of the gospel. From verse 27. And from verse 29, It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. And maybe at times we feel like we're doing the latter. Uh, Certainly as we see in other parts of the world, Afghanistan, people certainly really do suffer big time for the sake of the gospel. And just for acknowledging Jesus as Lord. From chapter 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So the instruction here isn't just for us as individuals, but it's for us as a body of believers as well. And if Paul's readers needed some incentive for this, he then goes on to show the example of our Lord Jesus. Some very familiar verses. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we can spend Sunday after Sunday after Sunday digging into this and just the incredible nature of this, what it means. Suffice to say that Jesus is the perfect example of one who put his relationship with his Father first. Who He gave up his place in heaven and came down to earth for us. He went from the highest place with God the Father to the lowest. And we know that crucifixion was reserved for the lowest of the low. It was designed to be a humiliating and incredibly painful and a slow death. And it was a warning for others. We know that Jesus' death was a victory though, don't we? He conquered death and he rose from the grave. So he went from the high, highest high to the low and then back up to heaven with God the Father. Hallelujah. Paul continues... And he says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you'll shine among them like stars in the skies who hold firmly to the word of life. Salvation comes through the grace of God. It's a free gift. We don't deserve it, nor can we earn it. So what does it mean then to work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Psalm 2, verse 11 12 says, Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. Submit to God's royal Son, Or he will become angry and you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities. For his anger flares up in an instant. But what joy for those who take refuge in him. And that's from the New Living Translation. New American Standard Bible says, slightly different, says, Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son. Jesus told his disciples that they were his friends. 
And that would be demonstrated through their love for him and for others. We need to be careful not to take this this concept of Jesus being our friend too far or for granted. Our God is more than just love. He's perfect. He's holy. He can't sin. He's all-knowing and so much more, isn't he? Being a friend of Jesus doesn't mean that we can do whatever we want and expect him to give us the, the fist pump, the high five, the pat on the back. A good friend will tell you when you're going off the rails. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Working out our salvation is akin to living in a way that shows we belong to Jesus. God wants us to seek his will for our lives and follow it, just as Jesus was willing to follow his Father's will to the cross. We work out our salvation by living in a way that honors Jesus. Working out our salvation is not the same as working for our salvation. If we're trying to do this on our own, for example, coming to church on Sunday, we listen to Christian music, avoid getting drunk or high, things like that, we'll be nice people and probably others might be happy to have us as neighbors. That doesn't mean, however, we'll know God. What we'll have there is a religion. So we won't know God and we won't have a relationship with him necessarily. So the key is knowing God, not just knowing about God. We read about God's son, Jesus, earlier. Jesus died for our sin, collectively, individually. And each of us needs to repent of our sin and realize that he did pay the price for our sin and we need to trust him as our own Savior and as our own Lord. And we can do this because it is God who works in us to will and to act in order to fill his good purpose. God is the one who saves and God is the one who works in people by enabling those who believe to want to live for him. His work in our lives gives us the motivation. It gives us the desire. It gives us the energy we need. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hope, my hope, sorry, to this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to his. Oh, how strange and divine, I can sing all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. God guides us through his spirit, who is given to all who believe. Paul writes to the Ephesians, says, When you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this 
so we will praise and glorify him. Paul says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. You may remember how God delivered his people, the Israelites, from their Egyptian captors by bringing them to the Red Sea and having Moses lead them through the wilderness for 40 years. Unfortunately, the people weren't satisfied with following God. They longed for the material things they had in captivity, the food that they were missing. And they constantly complained and challenged Moses, and thereby they challenged God. And God wasn't impressed with the Israelites in the wilderness. Neither is he impressed with us when we grumble about his provision for us. Grumbling or complaining tells others that we think something isn't good enough. If we believe all good things come from God, I do by the way, then we're saying that God is shortchanging us. It's not to ignore the fact that we're living in difficult times. Here, inflation is the highest been in, in probably decades. The cost of everything has risen faster than people's incomes. Our brothers and sisters elsewhere in the world are going through incredible hardships. Think of what's happening in the Ukraine and what our brothers and sisters are going through there. Think of what's happening to people in Afghanistan. It's kind of mind-boggling. The threat there, the consequence there for following Jesus, as noted in in the bulletin, could be an amputation, it could be beatings, it could be execution by stoning. So indeed, still challenging times. And God isn't impressed if we grumble about or argue with our fellow believers, which possibly was happening in the Philippian church. And even today, there's no shortage of topics that we can get into discussions about for which people are going to have different opinions and convictions. As a body of believers, though, we should be focused on our Lord Jesus. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 5, in the Song of Moses, we're told, They are corrupt and not as children. To their shame, they are warped and crooked generation. Sound familiar? Different versions use slightly different words instead of just warped and crooked. New Living Translation says deceitful and twisted. The English Standard Version says crooked and twisted. New American Standard says perverse and crooked. In Matthew 17, 17, Jesus was frustrated because his disciples couldn't heal the boy. He goes on and says, you unbelieving and perverse generation. Again, different versions have slightly different words for that. Faithless and corrupt. Faithless and twisted. I think these words do a pretty good job of describing the world we live in. I find it depressing to spend too much time reading the news and spending time away from those screens. It helps me put things into perspective. Our calling as believers is to live differently from the way most people choose to live. Not chasing after those things that people think are necessary for a quote-unquote good life. Our priority should be God first 
and let him look after those other things. Paul's instructions were that his children be blameless and pure, children of God without fault. And this doesn't imply perfection. We're called to be above reproach, though, individually and as a church. We're to be single-minded. It's not about following Jesus on Sunday and then going out as if he doesn't live, doesn't exist the other six days of the week. We're to be following him every day. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Surveys show that fewer people have faith in God now than was the case a few years back. And the numbers have been trending down for quite a while. I have no doubt that some of this is a result of some really scary things that have been done in the name of God over the years. Perhaps more recently, depending where you are, Numerous churches have been rocked by scandals among the leadership. Our calling is to reflect God's love in our lives. The more we do so, the more we'll shine for him. And we know that people watch, don't they? And the question is, what are they seeing in us? I trust that it's the product of changed hearts. Hearts that are changed and turned towards Jesus. We're to hold fast, to hold firmly to the word of life. We know God's word is truth. When Jesus was praying for his disciples in John 17, he said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. To hold fast or hold firmly to the word is more than just believing it for ourselves. It also implies holding forth the word. As some virgins note, so that others can also hear the gospel message. God's word is like a love letter, and we should all be reading it on a daily basis. It never ceases to amaze me how intricately the whole Bible is woven together and how it points to Jesus. Psalm 119, 114 says, You are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. The Holy Spirit teaches us that God would, what God would have us learn as we read. God's Spirit often provides us with new insights, even as we read passages that we've read many times over. He will not, however, contradict God's Word. God is sovereign and chooses to work in our lives. I don't believe in coincidence myself. I think things happen for a reason. The other day I came across a prayer that's often possibly mistaken, mistakenly to St. Francis of Assisi. It provides some practical advice on how we can live in a Christ-like manner. Says, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there's hatred, let me sow love. Where there's injury, pardon. Where there's doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek... Sorry, did I knock this off? O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. 
to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, and it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Indeed, it is important that we put our words into actions where possible, isn't it? And we're reminded about this in the book of James. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith but don't show by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, Goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? I would suggest that this and many other examples of faith in action do happen and usually happen quietly behind the scenes. And they're great ways that we show our love and concern for each other. And just to be clear, I'm not suggesting that BFA start some new social outreach ministry. While providing food or clothing is a good thing, it's important people realize what motivates our deeds. People need to know about Jesus. And we need to hold forth to share the word. The remainder of Paul's letter to the Philippians includes some other encouraging thoughts to help keep us on track. And it just, as I was going through the book and just looking, it's just, they just kind of jump off the page, at least to me. Whatever happens to your brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Everything is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ my Lord. I focus on one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak and mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. don't know about you. There's a few parts that I'd like to get fixed up. Whose names are written in the book of life. Always be full of joy in the Lord. Again, I say, rejoice. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done then you will experience God's peace. Getting depressed, listening to the news, looking at the news. Turn away. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I've learned how to be content with whatever I have, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. It is my hope and my prayer that we all draw closer to the Lord. And I trust he's your Lord as well this year. Let's continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, shining like stars as we hold firm to the word of life. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I'm going to ask that we pray the Lord's Prayer together. And then I'm going to ask the musicians to come up for one final song.
Let's pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church, where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area, or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.